how are we going to do this? Should, should you take a sip of one first? And I'm going to I'm going to smell them should first. Be, oh, and you're oh okay. You're should I you're do just that? cheating? You can do whatever you want to do. You're cheating. You put ice in yours. You're trying to look at the labels. All right, on my right. Okay, so I just smelled both cups. My right hand is Pepsi. My left hand is Coca-Cola. Should we do it one at a time? You're certain that that's what it 100%, is? 100%. Let's make it clear. These certain. are anonymous. You don't know for sure. I know for sure. Okay. It is a blind test. Okay. But I know for sure that in my right hand is Pepsi. All right. And in my left hand is Coke. Now, All I'm right. going to put it to my palate. Yeah, do it. All right. Do it. What did you just swallow, according to your prediction? Pepsi. Okay. Oh, no, 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 no. You got to eat the pickled ginger. Oh, got to clear the palate. All right. Okay. Now that my mouth tastes like nothing, taste this one. No, I think that's Pepsi. I think my left hand is Pepsi. So your prediction was wrong. Left hand's Pepsi. You didn't smell it right. Right hand is Coke. Do I have to decide? No, you have to decide which one you like better. Oh, which one I like better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So which of the two? All right. The I think the left is Coke. I think the right is Pepsi. I'm going back to my original. I know that that's not the game, but I think that I think I'm liking the Coke better. I think it's a little bit crisper. Mm -hmm. I feel like Pepsi has a like a slightly more syrupy mm -hmm. uh, consistency to it. It's a, just like a tiny more viscous and a little less crisp. So that's the I one. Think, that's I the think one you think Coke. is Coke. I think it's and Coke, and I like, like that, that one better. better. I think. All right, yeah. I'm gonna try mine. Hmm. Okay. I dislike this one more. I'm pretty sure the one I dislike is Pepsi. Is Pepsi. This is the one I like. I'm pretty sure this is Coke. That's Coke. Yeah. Okay. So the one I think is Coke is one. The one I think is Coke is two. Wow. Okay. Oh, wow. This is going to get the real contentious. Reveal. All right. So Pepsi is one. So I'm correct. So you're correct. And I am, my prediction is incorrect, you but like, I like the Pepsi better. You like Pepsi better. I like Pepsi better. I do want to point out, I have ice in my colas. Which so I, I think is know. cheating. It's not cheating. It's kind of cheating. It's not cheating. Don't get pissy just because you pick Pepsi, okay? I'm not pissy. I'm just point of order. I think ice in the cup is cheating, but. Well, you make your own rules. I do. I like Pepsi. Boy, I'm a convert. I'm the I'm generation next. Do you know what Pepsi's original name was? Pepsi Cola. Brad's drink. Oh, don't get all technical with me now. Who's Brad? I think that was the guy who made it. Oh, really? His name wasn't Pepsi? Yeah. The guy who made Coca-Cola was uh something Smith Pemberton. <laughs> I, met, I met someone with the name of Pepsi once. <laughs> nice. Man, here we are again, back. Welcome to The Long Road Home Alone. Jimmy. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for being here. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me here again. Here we are. We're doing it. Yeah. We're still doing it. Yeah. Long Road Home Alone. Well, it's a long road. It's a long, it's a long road. I'm thrilled to be here. I couldn't be more excited. I've been looking forward to this 
for days. Mm-hmm. So yeah, back on the radio. What are we talking about today? I think it's only prudent to talk about something really central to Home Alone, mm-hmm. and I think I know. I think you know what I'm going to say, and that is the character of Kate McAllister. Mom. Central. You can't have Home Alone no. without Kate. You just can't. Try it. Yeah. Try it. I'll straight up say Kate is the co-star of this film. Like if the film, honestly, I feel like it's about Kate and Kevin, you know, like it's both of their stories intertwined. When we're not with Kevin or the Wet Bandits, we're with Kate. Yes. And her struggle to get home. We have talked about the heart of the film before within the context of Marley, Mm -hmm. that they felt that they needed to inject a little more heart into the film. Mm -hmm. But I would posit that the real heart of the film is Kate and uh, a mother's love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to point out that I don't know if this is the appropriate place for this, but I had read that Columbus only approached Catherine O'Hare about this after he had secured Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, and Daniel Stern. Wow. I don't I don't know how true this is. I had just read it. Uh, I didn't read it as like a quote from Chris Columbus, but this is this what's going around. And the reason was he wanted to ensure that he had a really solid cast before he approached how this put it, some of his heroes, mm-hmm. Catherine O'Hara and John Hurd oh, being wow. those heroes. Wow. And in particular, he was a huge fan of Catherine O'Hara on SCTV. So as a comedian. Second City TV. Second City TV. That's the show from Canada. Not to be right. confused with Second City in Chicago, which right. is a, that's a comedy club, which is it's, mostly, that's the that's, origin. So Chicago is the quote unquote Second City. That's the origin of us of of Second City, mm-hmm. the comedy and improv mm-hmm. troupe. But then there was a branch of it in Toronto that yes. started maybe in the seventies or something like that, yeah. and it's that branch that developed in its own right into its own powerhouse and then yeah. they were the ones who originally made sctv which yeah. is a long-running yeah. comedy show oh and, and like there are so many celebrities that got their start on that uh eugene levy Catherine o'hara was one of them john, john candy, candy harold ramus yeah oh, rick moranis I, did he rick moranis was involved i don't know if he I don't know I, if he was ever on the cast. Was um, Dave... Uh, Dave Thomas. Was Dave Thomas. Dave Thomas yes. was... Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Catherine O'Hara. So, yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was interesting to point that out, that apparently Chris Columbus was a huge... Or is a huge Catherine O'Hara fan mm-hmm. and wasn't confident about approaching her about doing this little movie until he knew he had some real solid cast in it already that's strange that you say that he didn't approach her until after daniel stern was on board too because daniel sterner initially turned the role down right so yeah that's pretty late like i say it could be a myth i i don't know that the source that i read this on was super reliable but it's interesting nonetheless and if it's true it's also interesting because Catherine o'hara is such a talented comedian because she's not outwardly a super humorous character. Mm. I mean, she's playing this tightly wound, fairly humorless mm-hmm. personality. I feel like when Kate is funny, it's when she's being severe 
with other people you right. know, when she's dealing with the people in Scranton or totally uh, the fact that you have a comedian who has really good comedic instincts and timing playing this character really goes a long way yeah. in its subtlety yeah yeah I think her chops really shine once her character is stressing out the first scene that we're really uh, introduced to any of the characters so you have the actual first scene with characters is Joe Pesci trying to get attention from anybody running by him in the house. But the, the first scene where real dialogue is spoken is between Kate McAllister and Kevin. Kevin walks in the room while Kate's on the phone with her friend talking about how the uh, the dog went to the kennel, which yep. is why we have a doggy door right. in the, uh, the back of the house. And basically, Kate's just trying to maintain this conversation while Kevin's interrupting her. And she even says, Kevin, I'm on the phone. And then he just keeps agitating her. Hang up the phone and make me, why don't you? And I feel like she's she's relatively patient with him or whatever. But yeah, then Peter walks in and uh, and then we learn about Kevin playing with the the paint gun in the garage again. The glue gun. The glue gun. The glue gun. Paint gun would be something though, with his new fish hooks that Wait. he was planning to use with uh, with Jack Murphy when they went fishing later. Well, you can't use old fish hooks with dried worm guts. But Peter can when he goes fishing. Yeah. How am I supposed to shave in France? Grow a goatee. Like, I, have you never heard of just a razor? You don't have an electric razor, so you can't just buy a regular dispose. I mean, they sell those at the airport. That is a super 1990, late 80s, early 90s thing to be like, oh, now that we've got the electric razor, there's no going back. It's gadgety, too, in a way where, like, Peter has the thing that lights the charcoal briquettes. Yeah. It's so gimmicky. Yeah. You don't need that. I, I think this is where Peter is at. He's like, I can't possibly shave without my electric razor. I don't want a new family. I don't want any family. Families suck. Just stay up there. I don't want to see you again for the rest of the night. I don't want to see you again for the rest of my whole life. And I don't want to see anybody else either. I hope you don't mean that. You'd feel pretty sad if you woke up tomorrow morning and you didn't have a family. There are 15 people in this house, and you're the only one who has to make trouble. Pretty harsh. Yeah, it is. I feel like a lot of harsh words are spoken in that conversation on the attic steps. Kevin says some really hurtful things, which, you know, he's a kid who's really agitated and he just... He's so fed up with his family at this point that, yeah, he's he's just become unhinged and I don't want to see you again for the rest of my whole life and I don't want to see anyone else either. Yeah. So he says some stuff that's hard to take back, mm -hmm. even when you're a kid. Yeah. I will point out that Kate almost meets him where he's at. Mm -hmm. She does seem a little hurt mm -hmm. when she says, I hope you don't mean that. But yeah. she sort of enables him to go that far mm -hmm. because... He does say everyone in this family hates me and she doesn't deny it. No, she says she doesn't. She doesn't say that's ridiculous. No, it's me. she says, well, then maybe you should ask Santa for a new family, which yeah. is just sort of a baiting line. It is. Yeah, I do feel like it's a little like harsh to say. I feel like Kate's mindset at the time, though, is that Kevin is just being dramatic. You know, yeah. everyone in this family hates me. Kevin has said this dozens of times before. Right. And yeah. so she says, all right, fine. Well, maybe you should ask Santa for a new family. Right. 
So what about this scene on the stairs? Do you think other than the obvious, like thematically, what else do you think this sets into motion? This is where the fantasy of Home Alone begins, because this is where Kevin brings it into his mind. I'm tired of my family. I don't want to see them again. You know, Kate even goads him into saying it. Well, say it again. Maybe it'll happen. Right. Uh, and he says, I hope I never see any of the jerks again. And then he actually goes upstairs and you hear the internal uh, wish. I wish they would all just disappear. disappear. Yeah. And Kevin goes downstairs and his family's gone the next day. He believes that his wish came true. Now, the flip side of that, of course, from Kate's perspective, is this compound guilt. Mm -hmm. Because not only does she feel extremely guilty for having forgotten that she sent Kevin upstairs and for having left him at home, she mm -hmm. feels like a terrible mother. Yeah. But that's compounded by the guilt that she has from the last conversation that she had with Kevin. Yeah. She's got to be thinking to herself, I was way too hard on him. Mm -hmm. I sent him up on the third floor. He thinks it's scary up there. Yeah. You know, I just like cut him no slack. Well, and I've got to imagine that line, uh, you know, why don't you ask Santa for a new family? Or he says, I wish I wouldn't see any of you again. I'm sure that is just played over and over in her mind she, like oh now she's got to be thinking he must think that we've abandoned him yeah yeah he must think that we said fine then if you don't want us we're leaving yeah we're you, never coming back you said something so hurtful that we just couldn't deal with it and we're gone and yeah. you, you can just be by yourself and live alone like you wished so they both blame themselves mm -hmm. for this conversation yeah that they had yeah so i feel like the character of Kate, we get to know better than we get to know Kevin really well. He's our protagonist. But outside of Kevin, Kate is the character who we really get to know mm -hmm. the best, who isn't just a caricature. She's living in the real world. She's yeah. left her son behind and she's trying to get back. Yeah, I think Kate is sort of the glue of the McAllister clan. Yeah. Peter comes downstairs and the pizza boy asks him to pay for his pizza. And he says, well, I don't think this is actually in the film, but it's in the script. But Peter says, my wife has all the money and, and she'll be down to pay for that in a second. But yeah, it does feel like in this situation where Kate walks into the kitchen, she's the one who's sort of in charge of everything that's happening. She's the one who's delegating, who's going to order pizza and, you know. She's wearing all the hats. Yes. She's taking on all the responsibilities. She's, is, exactly, like you say, it's like Peter's the first one to interact with the pizza boy and mm. with Harry. Yeah. And he blows them both off. He yeah. gets distracted. Hey, come on, Dad, it's time to eat. And he just gets dragged yeah. off into the kitchen. I've never understood that so, eggnog line. What egg, What is that? Eggnog? Well, Joe Pesci doesn't understand it, but he's like, do, do you get some egg? Like, was he, was he inviting Joe Pesci into the kitchen to get some eggnog? It feels like, what? like a very, <laughs> that feels like quintessential Peter. It's just his way of, I think Peter's good at talking to people without much substance. I think he's really good at just like, like a he salesman. Yeah. He's like, oh, there's this guy in my foyer. He's a cop. I didn't expect him here. I don't actually have anything of substance to give him, nor do I really want to deal with it. Yeah. But I can brush it off by being like, hey, get some eggnog. That's yep. what we're doing and walk away. Yeah. But Kate is like, okay, I have to deal with all this stuff. I'm the only one who will. So I've talked to Harry mm -hmm. the next morning, the Ma Bell guy mm -hmm. instinctively 
talks to Kate yeah. about it. Yeah. She's like, she's the one who seems to be in charge. So, and of course, speaking of her being the glue of the family, she's also the one who's desperate to get Kevin back. And yeah. I feel like Peter's like, I understand. I believe in you. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. But go for it. Peter's position on the trip is I'm going to take care of the rest of the family who's here. Because that's now my responsibility. That's and, true. And if she needs to get home back to Kevin, then I'll let her do that. Yeah. I imagine that the kids sort of see Kate as like the stern parent, maybe the disciplinarian. Yeah. She I does think, come across as very severe. Yeah. I think dad's more the fun one, but yeah. I don't think the kids probably yet appreciate that she's the reliable parent. Yeah. She's the one that's providing this framework of stability for an otherwise like privileged and chaotic yeah. household. Yeah. I think that's the role she plays and maybe she doesn't get a lot of uh, credit for it. Well, and I also think that to audiences, uh, Kate comes across as pretty severe. She deals with people throughout the film in a, and I don't know, uh, a very curt and abrupt sort of way. I mean, she takes the phone from the French woman at the airport. When she calls the police, the first thing she says is, yeah, hi, look, that's just not the way you address people. If you're like actually trying to get help from them. I love that line. Cause she says it twice. Too. Yeah. That's like her go-to line. And it's funny too. Yeah. It's funny. We want to see that Kate is like this, Yes. but also were I in her situation, I'd be acting the same way. Yeah. And then, I think like no the, pleasantries like I have important things to do. It really comes to a head in Scranton where she's kind of at her worst, but she even explains it. I am tired. I'm dirty. I haven't slept in two days. I need to get back to my son. And like, I don't know, I, I've been in those situations, not not needing to get back to my son, but I've been in yeah, those situations. Fine without you, you are really just at your wits end. Even even from just sleep deprivation. But on top of that, Kate also has to worry that her son is home alone. What does he think about this? He's spending days and he's going to remember this for the rest of his life. She's got all kinds of earrings, dangly ones, dangly ones. <laughs> I this love. is this is such an important scene and it's so sincere mm -hmm. and it's so urgent. Mm -hmm. It's so desperate and dire. And there are a few other scenes like it, but it's that little scene yeah. with a couple of basically extras, right? Yes. Like featured extras where yeah. you've got the elderly couple and she's and Kate is trying to figure out a way to get home. Yeah. So she's basically just been sitting in this lounge at this airport trying to find anybody who's going back to the States that she can barter with. It seems like leading up to this scene with this old woman, Kate is basically just emptying everything she has in her bag to try to convince these people who are heading to the States. They're heading to Dallas, by the way. She's just trying to get back Across to the United States. the pond. Yes. And she's offering all of these things. Uh, and one thing it can easily go unnoticed, but it happens early on where she's going through all of the items that she's willing to give to get yeah. those tickets. The pocket translator. The pocket translator. The, the, the Rolex. Yes. The fake Rolex. Yes. And then, yeah. and then like, and then she looks down and she says, I also have a ring. And then the old woman turns to her husband and says, okay, this is what she's offering. And Catherine O'Hara looks down at the ring and it's like, I can't believe I just offered that. It's clearly an heirloom 
something that is important that was passed down to her from her yeah. family. And she's offering. It's not, a, it's not a ring Peter gave her for Christmas last year. It's no. like her grandmother's ring. Yeah. Or something. And, and she also has multiple rings on her fingers and oh, she wow. offers that specific one. And then she looks down at it and is like, I really can't lose that ring. This whole scene, like it really is some kind of sacrifice for her. The old woman is feeling sympathetic. She's listening. Mm. And the old man is like, come on. <laughs> yeah, let's just get, she's got all kinds of earrings. Let's them, just them get dangly ones. Yeah. And that's when Catherine O'Hara nearly breaks down. That's mm -hmm. when she's the closest to tears. Yes. When she's pleading, yeah. you know, from a mother to a mother. And when she says, I'm desperate, I believe it. She really is desperate to get back to her son. So we know, you know, if in case you haven't seen the film, spoiler alert, Kate does get back she does. to Kevin yes. at the end. Yeah. Um, so then there is, of course, the reunion. Yeah. When Kate finally makes it back yep. with the Kenosha kickers, mm -hmm. gets dropped off at the front door. She's been gone for two and a half days. Yeah. Kevin wakes up and he has fought off the wet bandits. He's done everything Santa Claus and maybe Jesus required of him. He goes downstairs and his family's gone and he opens the front door. No one's there. He closes it and the budget van drives up right after he closes it. So Doesn't Kev he even go downstairs and call mom? Yeah, he calls mom and then he opens the door and he's just disappointed. And then he goes back upstairs brooding over his family photos like, well, I thought this would bring my family back, but it didn't. And then his mom shows up two minutes later. Right. But before their reunion, she walks in and she sees the state of the house. Yes. Because here's another element of not only is it her guilt and her fear and her concern, but it's like the house might be a smoldering heap. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. who knows? And ideas have been put in her mind about, you know, what horrific things might have happened to Kevin yes. while she was gone. And so she comes in and instead of it being like a sty, mm -hmm. the stockings are hung by the chimney with care and yeah. the tree is dressed and yeah, it's and like then fully Christmas. Yeah, and we'll point out too, Kevin went into his backyard and chopped down a tree. Yeah, they so didn't that there have would be, one. Yeah, so that there would be a Christmas tree. And so she walks in thinking Kevin is going to be starving to death. And she walks in and yeah, stockings hung above the fireplace. The tree is set and she seems so touched. And she thinks, wow, he turned out much better than I thought he would in the three days that I had left him behind. He managed to like turn this house into Christmas. And then Kevin in his classic way milks it a little bit. He kind of gives her a bit of a pout. Yeah. Before he smiles and you yeah. know once she apologizes. And I he's do, like ah it's all right. Yeah. He runs into her arms. Yeah. It's just it's a great reunion because both of them at that point in the story are thinking I just really want to be reunited with my family and that's the end of Kevin's arc too is you know like Kate knew that right from the start but Kevin had to learn that right. and it's great that they're like as they get reunited they think oh we said terrible things to each other but we're finally back together we're on over it we're back together it's resolved it's a christmas miracle yes and uh you know it's the season of perpetual hope yeah proven again so something that doesn't really make much sense to me uh towards the beginning of the film 
Kate walks into the kitchen and says, I hope you're all drinking milk. I want to get rid of it. And then she opens the refrigerator and there are three unopened gallons of milk in the refrigerator. Could have planned a little better. When did you go grocery shopping? Yesterday? Yeah. Okay. I know you've got a big family, but like, why do you have that much new milk in the refrigerator? You're going to Paris. The first thing she says when her family returns is somebody's got to go shopping. We don't even have milk here. Because they drank all of it. They drank drank three gallons of milk. She's I mean, there was, she's plenty, real of, there was plenty of Pepsi on the table. <laughs> I don't think people need to drink that much milk. Yeah, you should. I would say rule of thumb. If you feel like maybe you've had enough milk, switch to Pepsi. Also, okay, they leave on either December 22nd or 23rd. Yeah. Milk doesn't go bad that quickly, yeah, right? But how, how long are they going to be in Paris? <laughs> That's never actually established. Yeah. Maybe they're going to be there for six months. I don't know. It could be. Yeah. Yeah. That milk's going to go bad. Uh. So we have the $500, the pocket translator, the two first class seats. That's an upgrade from your coach. Is that a real Rolex? Do you think it is? No. But who can tell? What do you think Kate does for a living? She definitely works. Mm -hmm. um, the novelization says that she's a successful fashion designer. Hmm. Yes, it does say that. Yeah, it does say that. Do you I, think that that's true? I mean, the novelization also I mean, says I, that Kevin is seven and then he has brown right. hair and that they live in Oak Park. and that they live in Oak Park, he even, takes though, some even though there's even though there's not a metro line that runs through Oak Park. Yeah. yeah. The author of the novelization takes some liberties. I think he's making that up. I think Kate is a banker. Yeah. Maybe she's a litigator. She's got the pants suit, the uh, the top with the Romulan yeah, the shoulder shoulders, pads. the Romulan shoulder pads. Yeah, all the rage back then. Yeah. My favorite Kate scene, we touched on it a little bit, but it's the yeah, hi look. Yeah. Where yeah, she calls look. she calls back to, you know, Chicago PD. Mm -hmm. And she's explaining to them, this is her first line of defense. They land mm -hmm. in Paris and she's like, well, I got to call the cops. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't. Here I am stuck. So she calls the cops and she does not get very far with the cops but i love this scene yes. how she gets passed back and forth to rose and officer balzac officer balzac played by larry hankin larry hankin yeah. yes larry hankin is i'm so glad that he is in this movie yeah he plays this tiny role that he has so well where he's just like over it he's like i don't understand he's family crisis intervention and he's just got all of these grim scenarios memorized from a script he's basically like a menu prompt yes. he's like press one if the child has been you know like endangered by immediate member of his family yeah like why does a person actually need to be presenting these options right like, like can you just tell us what happens yes and he's eating a donut and like a piece of the donut falls onto yes. the onto the receiver. If you notice on his desk, he's got a napkin and there is just like a There's stack, a stack. There's of, a stack of three of or four of those donuts just sitting there. <laughs> he's eating donuts. He's working through that stack of donuts. I love how like he, how, how dumbfounded he is too when he realizes what the point of this conversation. You want us 
to go to your house just, just to, to check, check on, on him. him. And Kate seems so Yes! Fly. I'm, I'm going to so... connect you to the police department. Yeah. They're like operators in dispatch or something, right? Yeah. So like the number of calls that are just rapid fire coming into these lines are not can like my son is okay yeah. and he's at home. Well, she also picks up the phone and she says village police department. So yeah. it's clearly like the police for Winnetka. So maybe yeah. it is this uneventful neighborhood in Chicago where everything's you know, just sleepy. There's a seedy underbelly of small towns with plenty of, you know, let's not fool ourselves. I, I don't there's, disagree there's some with crises. you. I mean, doesn't mean that they're not getting the calls at like, you know, so they had the South Bend Shovel Slayer, maybe. And the Wet Bandits. And the Wet Bandits. So, yeah, it's true. It's not as safe as Buzz thinks it is. Larry Hankin, what have I seen him in? I'll tell you a good one. You're going to know it. You're going to love it. Wait. Oh, Escape. No. He's in Escape from Alcatraz with Robert's Blossom. Oh, my goodness. How do you like that? That's not what it is. It's something else. Well, that is what it is. No, no. That's, I'm what, to, that's I'm, what that is. No, I'm trying to think of what I know him from. Oh, you probably know him from Death Warrant. That no. Jean-Claude Van Damme film. It's not that. It's got to be that. It's not that. Um, Something <laughs> to do with blank check. No. Oh, you know what he is in, though? Yeah. He's in the uh, the Star Trek TNG episode, The yeah. Cost of Living. Yes. Because Brian Bonsall, the, yes. the, 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 uh, kid the from lead actor Check. from Blank Check, he plays, he plays, he plays Worf's son, Alexander, Alexander Roshenko. That's right. Yeah. And that's the episode oh, that God. Larry Hankin is in. And it's like this, episode. this Luxana Troy, Alexander Alexa- Roshenko. What the hell is the rest of the Enterprise crew doing while this episode is taking place on the holodeck? Who asked for this mashup? Who asked for the Alexander and Luxana Troy mashup episode? That's got to be like one of the worst episodes it's of so, TNG God, ever. It's so bad. I, uh... Look why? For, look. Why is that Larry Hankin? He's just like this. He's just like this. This plaid head of a mime he's, yeah. in a bubble, in making weird deck. faces. Yeah. What is this? Yeah. I don't understand. It's a waste of talent. He was an escape from Alcatraz and Home Alone and Home Alone too, which is a great movie. Yeah, 1990, directed yeah. by Chris Columbus. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Starring Ke- uh, Kevin Kevin Bacon. McAllister. Oh yeah, and John Hurd. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, hi, look. Can I ask you a question? Of course. Do you think Kate McAllister is a good mother? Yeah. Hmm. Totally. Me too. Yeah. Is she flawed? Yeah. But that's what makes great characters I in fe- film and television and literature. You see it time and again. Did you ever read Don Quixote? No. Flawed character. Great character. You don't want perfect characters. No. And you can take that one to the bank. You want people who look at windmills. Yeah. You want them to tilt at them, if not look at them. I feel like Kate often gets the short end of the stick. Uh, A lot of people think, like, how could a mother forget her son at home? And the film creates a pretty realistic situation, in which case a good mother actually could forget her son at home and then she tries to make it right and she spends the entire film doing that yeah i think you know the amount of uh important topics that we've covered are are many (laughs) but i feel like this is pretty paramount Hmm. kate's journey really feels ultimately like where there's the most to learn even her acceptance of the ride 
in a budget van with a bunch of polka guys. I mean, that's an uncomfortable situation for anyone to be in, you know? You meet this person and they introduce themselves as the polka king of the Midwest. They clearly think of themselves as a celebrity in a world where they're not a celebrity. And she has to spend the next 12 hours in the back of a budget van with that person. Yeah, a windowless budget van. Yes, listening to a bunch of polka bums. <laughs> Man, we really, we, we've covered a lot, you know? I mean, we've talked about Uncle Frank. We've yeah. talked about the great town of Sheboygan and how it plays, yeah. how it plays into all this. Over the course of this live broadcast. You know, every time we're on the air, I feel like every time we're, you know, we're, we're sending those little bolts across the airwaves, you know? Those, Radio waves? Yeah. You know, it's like a little, FM? Li little lightning bolts. Yeah. Yeah. We're on, well, we simulcast FM, AM. The FCC is cool with it. Yeah. I mean, they're all right with it. Yeah. Well. <laughs> There's just so many. It's just such a rich tapestry of character and story. I mean, it's the, we've, it's, it's Marv and Buzz and the Murphys and the myth of Christmas and Steven Seagal and mm. Marley yeah. and AC and, and, uh. I dare say there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, I feel like this conversation has been going on for a long time, and I feel like I've taken a lot from it. I feel like I value Uncle Frank more than I did before this conversation with you, and I value Old Man Marley's contribution to, to the story and to Kevin's growth. You know, people talk about Home Alone as having one H, and I really talk about it as the four H's. Mm -hmm. It's hilarity, heart, hijinks, and home. And I think, you know, what we do is so important because there's this deep-seated educational component. There's a public outreach and a public service component Who to it. Who says Home Alone is about one H? Well, there's one H in Home Alone. People say that Home Alone well, you know is about they, one H? Yeah, I mean, you know how they... Because when, H is in the title? You know when people talk about Home Alone? You know, they say they can... They, they talk about it like a, like it's a one H movie. What people? Who talks about Home Alone like that? But really, it's a four H movie. You know, and uh -huh. the way I remember that is if you think about 4-H, like is the, you know, like uh, animal husbandry. Huh? And I think that there's a family connection to be made there. So it's building community. That's what we do. That's what the movie does. It's a long, long road home alone. So yeah. as part of a dense, really valuable programming block on public broadcast, I think educational, educational. I think we're seen as a program of merit, even which, if the Sheboygan Chamber of Commerce doesn't feel that way about us and they felt like pulling our funding. And we do want to say there are always challenges mm -hmm. in this field. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we tried to focus on polka as much as we could. Yep. Yeah. What we're getting at is our broadcast block is, I think, temporarily um, being rescheduled because we've got the the Polka Festival coming in and they want to do the the, the, the live broadcast. In yeah, our block. that's going to be going for like nine months. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So it's always a conversation. You know, yeah. I don't it's this is not goodbye. It's see you later. Mm -hmm. um, we will be back on our regular broadcast slot. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, we're going to take a little bit of a break. Yeah. Um, you know, we're going to I might mm -hmm. I might go down to Madison, mm -hmm. you know, taking the sights. Yeah. But uh, I think I would I would just say that, you know, this 
this road home mm-hmm. is long. Yeah. And there's there's no one I'd rather be on this road with than you, Jimmy. I'm glad you feel that way. Thanks. The Long Road Home Alone is broadcast live from Sheboygan, Wisconsin. It's hosted by Jimmy Dantes and Joey Z and produced by Pat Muldoon. Until next time, eat junk and listen to rubbish. <laughs>